Greetings, everyone. This is the Sound Health Radio Show with Richard Talk to Me Guy and Sherry Edwards is at work on the soundhealthportal.com. If you'd like, you may go to soundhealthportal.com, scroll down to see current campaigns, and I believe that they have bio diet, corona conflict, neuroplasticity, and PTSD available. What that means is that you can go there, you can go to soundhealthportal.com, you can scroll down, find that campaign that you're interested in. Campaigns are just free versions of the software that you can use. They're no different than the actual software. They're just what's available to trial so that you can see how the Sound Health Portal works. So you choose your campaign, you scroll down a bit further, you sign up for a free membership, and then the, the system will guide you through doing two 30 to 40 second recordings of your voice. You'll choose your campaign, and then you'll submit that, and the system will get back to you within two to 10 hours. The most I've ever waited is 10 hours. It's usually a couple of hours. And I recommend sitting down with a cup of tea and reviewing that material I'm so happy with this soundhealthportal.com now. I used to have to lug around a laptop and a microphone and all sorts of stuff. Now you can just go online. I always carry with me, and I would recommend everybody have one of these, the Samsung Go Mic, which is a really pretty effective little microphone. It's only about two and a half inches long, and you can clip it to the top of your monitor. And in this era of us all being on Zoom and all sorts of webinars all day long to actually see other people, I recommend having one because it greatly improves your audio. So I carry a Samsung Go mic on me all the time, and when I'm visiting other people at a good distance, I can plug it into their computer and have them do a trial, a campaign, so they can see it and find out more information. If you want to see a demonstration of the Sound Health Portal, you can go to soundhealthoptions.com, click on Classes, and then scroll down to Portal Presentations. There you'll be able to see one of the current videos that Sherry has done where she's doing a live workup of somebody on a webinar so you can actually watch the process and also see the amazing charts. Sherry has really made incredible charts so that we can see everything in a visual display, which works really well for me. So you can see, oh, that might be higher, that might be low, because sometimes high is a methylation issue and sometimes really low. And this makes sense when you see it on the chart. Low can also be a different side of assimilation. It's amazing. As a display on the soundhealthportal.com, it's really extraordinary how we can have visual aids now. I've, I've been working with Sherry long enough that I used to have to lug a computer around, and it was all rows of numbers. And it wasn't as visually really greatly displayed. To hear a replay of this show, which I know from Amy's work, you're going to want to hear a replay, The Keto Life. You can go to soundhealthoptions.com, click on the radio tab, scroll down and go to the current flyer for the, today's show. Below that, you'll see a link to take you back to the show notes at Blog Talk Radio, where you'll see the show notes and you can find the replay. And or at the top now of that page, we have links to either Pocket Cast or Stitcher. 
and let's say you click on Stitcher, it'll take you to a list of the current shows. And usually the podcast apps are a little slower to have the feed. Sometimes it takes up to an hour for the feed to be there. And you'll be able to see this show at the top. And with either of those, you can easily share the show to others who might be interested in weight loss and health and cognitive enhancement. And you can click on that and listen to the replay. And or they're usually dots, three dots, or a hamburger. That's the three lines. You can click on that, and you'll be able to share it right from there and send it to your friends because it really is the kind of material you're going to want to listen to again. With that, overwhelmed by the avalanche of information out there about diets and health, tired of spending time and money following complicated and expensive plans and protocols that don't deliver the results you want, would a strict ketogenic diet be best for you? But what if you can't imagine life without fruit or bread? Why won't someone just make all this diet stuff simple? Amy Berger, MS, CNS, is a U.S. Air Force veteran and certified nutrition specialist who specializes in helping people do keto without the crazy. She has a master's degree in human nutrition and writes about a wide range of health and nutrition-related topics, such as insulin, metabolism, weight loss, diabetes, thyroid function, and more. She has also presented internationally on these issues as the author of The Alzheimer's Antidote, using a low-carb, high-fat diet to fight Alzheimer's disease, memory loss, and cognitive decline. And The Stall Slayer, Seven Roadblocks to Keto Fat Loss and What to Do About Them. Amy is also the co-author of the soon-to-be-released End Carb Confusion, A Simple Guide to Customize Your Carb Intake for Optimal Health. Amy joins us to talk about keto without the crazy. Welcome, Amy. Hey, how's it going? I want to start right at the, how did Dr. Atkins' diet revolution come into your life? Oh, well, um, it was, let's see, about 1999 or so, back, you know, long before a lot of the big internet sites even existed, and my mother actually picked up a used copy of an updated version uh, called Dr. Atkins' New Diet Revolution at a yard sale, back when people still had yard sales. And she actually never ended up reading it, but I did. I was home from college on Christmas break, and I read it, and it just made sense to me. I was a little bit overweight, and I had been overweight despite following what I thought was a good diet, doing lots of exercise, and and I was healthy at the time. I didn't have any health problems, but I was carrying extra weight, and the weight wouldn't budge no matter what I did. And I read the book, and I gave it a try, and here we are. But um, I am not unlike many others that it didn't stick the first time. I didn't stay with a low-carb diet the first time I tried it. It It took a few stops and starts before I stuck with it for the long term. And how do you think, having already been a, been living a Dr. Atkins diet, affected your research when you were studying to get your master's degree in nutrition? Oh, well, um, before I answer that, let me actually just thank you for starting with Dr. Atkins, because in the current 
ketogenic and low-carb nutrition community, so to speak, the Atkins diet and Dr. Atkins kind of have a bad reputation. You know, people will say, oh, I'm, I'm not doing the Atkins diet. I'm doing keto. And the fact is the new version of the keto diet or what people call the keto diet is really the Atkins diet wrapped up in a shiny new bow. And anyone that is having any <laughs> modicum of success right now on a low-carb diet or a ketogenic diet really owes Dr. Atkins and, and, and his uh, longtime partner, Nurse Jackie Everstein, a huge debt of gratitude. Um, you know, Dr. Atkins certainly wasn't the first doctor or researcher writing about low-carb and, and helping patients with low-carb diets, but he was the one that really popularized it and brought it to the masses first. So um, I, with regard to school, my experience was a little bit different in that I was a career changer. So I went back to graduate school for nutrition after I had already been doing a low-carb diet. I didn't go to, you know, undergrad for dietetics or nutrition. So I, when, when I learned about the biochemistry and the anatomy and physiology, I was able to study it already knowing a, a little bit about low-carb diets and how and why they work. So maybe my perspective on some of it was different than someone who was learning about that stuff for the first time. When I could look at some of those biochemical mechanisms of fat burning and blood glucose regulation, it, it would dawn on me, oh, that, no wonder low-carb does X, Y, and Z. No wonder this works the way it does. You know, when, when you look at, at the basic human physiology, a lot of the low-carb nutrition science becomes self-evident. And I do have to admit that I'm a fan of Dr. Atkins. I actually had the opportunity to, when I was doing terrestrial radio in the 90s, early 90s, I had the opportunity to interview him about the diet revolution. So I've been following oh, him. Oh, well now I'm really jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I've been following him since all of his ups and downs and all of his oh, attacks and positive things. And, you know, when he died, there was a bunch of controversies. Like, he died of a heart attack. See, he was lying. And then it was like, no, he didn't die of that. He had, a he had an issue, a viral issue on his cardiovascular system. And that's part of why he died, although he was, had a fall and hit his head. Right, so I'm a, right. I'm a well, fan as well. So I was excited to talk with you because I know that you also had a background with Dr. Atkins, and it's like, no, he was a good guy, really. Yeah, so and, and you know, the thing happy. is, yeah, he his professional reputation was really dragged through the mud. I mean, he was ridden out of town on the rails in the medical and nutrition professions, and the fact is just about every single thing that he ever said has been completely vindicated, completely validated, in the course of the clinical research that's been done over the past 20-plus years. Um, and, and he was not only, you know, I don't know if you've ever interviewed Jackie Eberstein, but Dr. Atkins was not, he was best known for the Atkins diet, but he was really a brilliant clinician. He had trained in Europe doing some complementary medicine and things like that, that he just really was, um, his, his untimely death was a huge loss for all of us, but thanks to um, people like my co-author, Dr. Eric Westman, and other, you know, other researchers that are that have carried the torch of this work, we his work hasn't been lost. Yay. And how did you and Dr. Westerman <laughs> meet or connect or get together to write and end your carb confusion? 
Right. So um, Dr. Westman is uh, an obesity medicine specialist, internal physician at Duke University here in North Carolina. And, you know, I had known of his work for many years. I mean, his, I, long before I ever met him, I was reading his published research. And uh, we had come across each other a couple of times at conferences here and there. And we've gotten to know each other. And um, we both have a very similar mindset and a very similar style in helping people learn about the low-carb way of eating. And um, I think he, he wanted to write a very simplified book that everyone could understand that would be easy and inexpensive for people to implement. And um, I was lucky enough that he wanted to team up with me. I guess I guess my specialty is more in the writing side of things, and um, it, it was just a good fit. It's a great fit. It's a really it's a really great book. We'll, we'll get back to the book in just a moment. But first, I have to ask you, why to it nutrition? Oh, so it's a funny story. It's actually there's a little explanation on my website. So my website is www.tuitnutrition.com and it's T U I T nutrition. And I do I have to apologize. I do actually have to say the www. There's been a little hiccup with my website and if you go to tuitnutrition.com it won't come up, but if you put the 3 W it will come up. So anyone out there listening might be old enough to have seen one of these things. When I was a kid, my mother had around a little wooden coin. It was about the size of a silver dollar. And on one side, it said in big black letters, T-U-I-T. And on the other side, in very fine print, it said something like, you're always waiting till you get around to it. You know, oh, I'll do that when I get around to it. Someday I'll get a, well, now you have a round to it a T-U-I-T that is round. And um, the way that came about with my, my website and my brand now, I guess, is that when I was trying to get a website and I was trying to get a domain, all of the domains I wanted were taken. And I said, you know, how many people will say, you know, well, I'll, I'll change my diet when I get around to it. I'll, I'll focus on my health when I get around to it. And I said, to it nutrition. What, what are you waiting for? Now you have to it. Get, get to it. <laughs> so... <laughs> That's really, and you know, most people think, oh, does that come from intuit, intuitive eating? I'm like, that's a better explanation. I wish that was the explanation, but the explanation is actually that little wooden coin. I saw the little wooden coin on your site, and I thought it was just charming. I mean, I, I wish those yeah. were still available because it's so true. We all have the, we'll get to it. Yeah, I'll get to it later, right. not now, much later. Exactly. So I think it's, it's really quite perfect. What we're going to jump around a little bit before we get into the actual end of your carb confusion, because I want to set some foundational thoughts about keto. What do you think are the potential long-term benefits to the immune system of low-carb eating? Uh, well, uh, with the caveat that immunology and virology is, they're definitely not my areas of expertise. I think one thing we do know is that chronically high blood sugar and chronically high insulin make pretty much everything worse. So anything we can do to keep our blood sugar and insulin within a healthy range is going to facilitate overall better health. Um, so I think that, that's a huge factor. And then, you know, COVID-19 is only one example, but I think it, it's pretty clear that 
these underlying metabolic dysfunctions like metabolic syndrome, type 2 diabetes, hypertension, all of these things that go hand in hand with chronically high blood sugar or insulin either make you more susceptible to getting COVID or if you get it, you're more likely to have a worse outcome. You know, you're more likely to just have a, a worse time of dealing with it. So anything that we can do to prevent or even reverse some of these metabolic conditions stands a chance of help, helping our immune system be more robust. And I, I can't really say more than that because it's just not my expertise, but the sort of 30,000-foot view is that that metabolic health is really critical to just keeping your body in a better position to fight off anything, I would say, not just, not just COVID. Well, it seems that having chronically high blood sugar just makes it hard on the body, period. That'll be my phrase. I, too, am not an immunologist. I've talked to a lot of them. Uh, but it just seems that we're, we're fighting against our body's natural state of, you know, high blood sugar is not a normal thing. Uh, cavemen didn't have high blood sugar, I don't think. You know, when they ate grains, they had to, like, pull it off the stock and just chew on it until something happened. And didn't eat um, didn't eat a lot of stuff out of boxes. <laughs> we'll come back to eating out of boxes. I think that's a that's a tricky area. Would you say a bit more about metabolic syndrome? Because we've heard so much about metabolic syndrome. Could you just say a little bit more about it in terms of what does that mean? What is that? Yeah, I uh, I wish it was called chronically high insulin syndrome or hyperinsulinemia syndrome. Hyperinsulinemia is just a fancy word that means your insulin is too high too much of the time. And the official diagnostic criteria for metabolic syndrome include five things. And to get diagnosed, you only need to have three of them. And some doctors would say they would diagnose you if you only have two. And they include um, high fasting blood sugar, high blood pressure, a large waist circumference, low HDL cholesterol, and high triglycerides. And I want to emphasize here that what the diagnostic criteria do not include are body weight and LDL cholesterol because you can have metabolic syndrome at any body weight. We, we stereotype, we have a very weight-biased and fat-biased society, but you can have all of these metabolic illnesses if you're quote-unquote thin, if you're, if you're athletic, that, that does not make you immune to these issues. And um, LDL is not part of the criteria, and oddly enough, neither is measuring insulin, which is insane to me because chronically high insulin really is at the heart of this entire cluster of, of issues. And, and, and so many people are missed because they'll go to the doctor, they have trouble losing weight, the women maybe have infertility from PCOS, the men have low testosterone, they have erectile dysfunction, they have enlarged prostate, maybe it's somebody that has skin tags or fatty liver, all kinds of things. And the doctor's testing the blood and they say, you're not diabetic, everything's fine, see you in six months. Whereas if they would measure this person's insulin, they would probably find it through the roof or at least somewhat elevated. And that's, I'm getting a little detailed, but that's a critical point. So many, frankly, millions of people are told that their blood sugar is normal, there's nothing wrong with them, but 
very high insulin is keeping that blood sugar in check. And it's that high insulin or whatever's causing the high insulin that's driving all these other metabolic problems. All right, I'm bookmarking that for another show. <laughs> because <laughs> <laughs> that is a longer conversation. And, and it's going it, it to creates the space where I want to ask about, but I know we're going to do a whole other show about this, about the issue of insulin, your other book, about Alzheimer's and blood sugar levels. Because that just mm -hmm. seems to go in the same family of they don't consider it when it comes to cognitive abilities and the potential long-term, what I'll call deleterious effect of running high blood sugar. Would you talk about the Alzheimer's angle? And I know we're going to do a whole other show on this, but if you can just pencil that out for us as part of it. Yeah, the, the nutshell version is that they, they regularly refer to Alzheimer's disease as type 3 diabetes or diabetes of the brain. And this isn't really, like you said, it's not talked about much in the lay public or in the sort of general media. But if you look into the medical literature, it's everywhere. Chronically high blood sugar or, this again, this chronic hyperinsulinemia, they are major risk factors for Alzheimer's disease. And um, it's, it's just not recognized among the average family physician, among even people living with this disease. And it's, it's no longer solely a disease of elderly people. This is a, a disease that has exploded in incidence right along with type 2 diabetes and metabolic syndrome and PCOS and non-alcoholic fatty liver and all of these other things that are, that are, you know, driven by this chronically high insulin. And it's, there are genetic factors involved in Alzheimer's. There's family history issues, but regardless of your genes and regardless of your family history, chronically high blood sugar and insulin are independent risk factors. I mean, the bottom line, like we said, chronically high blood sugar is bad for the immune system. It's terrible for the brain, terrible for the brain. It's a baseball cap. It's two intuition on one side, and it's terrible for the brain on the other side. Ask me. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I just had a, an aha. We talk about keto diet, keto lifestyle, a lot of keto, what, what is ketosis? How do we and why do we benefit from having being in ketosis states? What is so it? So ketosis, it, it's a metabolic state that happens when you are breaking down a lot of fat for energy. You're burning a lot of fat. These molecules called ketones are produced as a byproduct of burning fat, and the ketones themselves are a type of fuel that most cells in the body can use. And we have to distinguish healthy, safe nutritional ketosis, or what Dr. Atkins called benign dietary ketosis, from the dangerous, harmful ketoacidosis that happens in a poorly controlled type 1 diabetes and sometimes in type 2. That is a very dangerous pathological state. It is not the same as nutritional ketosis. Just because they both have keto or ketosis in the name doesn't mean they are the same thing. And, um, you know, ketosis is, 
a normal part of human physiology. It's nothing weird. It's nothing crazy. It happens basically when your carbohydrate intake is very low or really when your insulin level is very low because in order to be burning a lot of fat, you can't you, – everybody thinks of insulin as a blood sugar hormone, but insulin, like any other hormone, doesn't just have one job. It does so much else. One of the major things insulin does that hardly anyone talks about is it blocks fat burning. And not, not 100%, you know, nothing is ever completely 100% in the human body, but if your insulin is elevated, your body really has a hard time breaking down fat to burn for fuel. So if ketones come from breaking down fat, all, those of us that are constantly living in a high insulin state are never really going to have a lot of ketones circulating. We will always have a teeny tiny amount, but never like you would see on a deliberate low-carb or ketogenic diet. I had a confusing phase uh, since I had been a Atkins fan for a long time. I, at some point, I don't know, let's say in the 90s, I started doing long-distance cycling not competitively, just for really kind of a long meditation. And I lived in a beautiful part of the country. So I'd go out and bicycle mm, 50 miles a day casually. And then I'd sometimes on the weekends, I'd do 100 miles. And oh, you know, just for fun, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> kind of. No, actually, I can um, see that. If you're living in Northern California, that would be, that would be amazing. So that's, I can see that. Yeah. And there was this phase in cycling and may still be happening where you would do this strip out diet before you'd go on a long ride and you would do carbo loading. And the idea was to get carbo stores in the big leg muscles and major, mostly the thighs because there was a lot of area to store all that carbohydrate so you could burn. But the problem is about three quarters of the way through you'd crash because you'd run out of carbs to burn. And it was always a conflicted mind state for me because I was much more leaning toward the fat-burning Atkins thinking. And it was just a weird, wonky phase of like, wait, no, I know that eating that way works fine for me. What am I doing? And it was just a weird conundrum of, I don't know what in the competitive world of long-distance running or long marathoners or all of that, I don't know if they're still carb-loading or not, but it was just an odd state of, Really? I don't know. I feel confused. I feel conflicted. <laughs> well, I think um, among the professional athletes, keto is becoming more popular. It's still a very small percentage of the, of the total, but more and more people are catching on. There's a guy named Zach Bitter who I believe holds the current U.S. or possibly the world record for the 100-mile race, and he's a low-carb guy. And, you know, there's a lot of other – professional athletes that that are doing keto and low carb and um I'm, I'm sure you're well aware of the researcher Stephen Finney he got his you know world famous for low carb he got his start in researching this way of eating in competitive cyclists mm-hmm. he got he got his start working with athletics not with with you know diabetes like he does now amazing and when people shift to a low-carb diet or a low-fat diet or somewhere in between, do you suggest people taper in or just go full induction? You mean when they start a, a low-carb or keto diet? Yeah, yeah. 
it's it's really an individual preference. I I prefer for people to just rip the Band-Aid off and jump in because depend you know depending on how debilitated you are for lack of a better word generally the sicker you are the greater the benefit you're going to get when you're fully ketogenic the the more energy you're going to notice the 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 quicker the brain fog will be gone um the 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 sooner the joint pain will pass and all of that will happen if you ease in but it'll happen much quicker if you just jump right in immediately and um but you know if if you're not able to do that, if somebody would rather over time gradually reduce their carbs, let's say one week they cut out bread, they're still eating potatoes and pasta and rice and fruit, but just no bread. The next week you're off the bread. Now you cut out the pasta. You know, each, each week cut out something else, so that eventually you end up on a ketogenic diet. But you your your transition was more gradual, and maybe that makes it more sustainable. So I favor people doing it in whatever way will help them actually stick to this. But I think if you're in a really desperate health situation and you want to start feeling better as quickly as possible, just jump in. Now, with the caveat, though, my co-author would kill me if I didn't say this. (laughs) If you have type 2 diabetes or type 1 or hypertension, if you are taking certain medications, you absolutely have to have medical supervision because... The ketogenic diet is so powerful for correcting blood sugar and uh, high blood sugar and high blood pressure that your medication might need to be adjusted the first day that you stop eating the carbohydrates. So if you are taking certain medications, you can jump into this right away if you have the medical supervision. And what is the keto flu? Oh, the dreaded keto flu. <laughs> so <laughs> this yeah. is the it's it's just the transition when your body is getting rid of the, the glucose and getting used to burning fat and ketones. And it's it's almost like going through withdrawal from a drug. And if, if nobody thinks sugar is a drug, it's probably because they've never tried to go without it for two days or three days. Um, For many, many people, it is literally a drug. They're literally addicted to it. But the the keto flu is just a couple of days, and and the time that it takes to pass varies, but it's your body making the shift from burning primarily carbohydrate to burning primarily fat and ketones. And because it's such a shock to the body and it changes a lot of the dynamics in your body, you could end up with very severe headaches, dizziness, lightheadedness, um, muscle cramps, you know, nothing terrible, but it can be, you know, it's unpleasant and there's ways to prevent it or mitigate it. Mostly you need a lot more salt, sodium, sometimes magnesium, a lot more water. So it's really just a, a very abrupt shift in electrolytes due to some of the hormones and the balance changing in your body. And the, the worst of it tends to pass within a day or two and not even everybody gets it. Some people sail through with no problem. Some people get hit a little bit harder. But that's a very, very small price to pay to reap the benefits of keto. I mean, when you quit smoking, you feel like garbage for a while till all that stuff is cleared out of your lungs. You're coughing up stuff. 
nobody would tell you, oh, well, you're going to have to go through this awful period when you quit smoking, so you should just keep smoking. <laughs> so the keto <laughs> flu, don't, you know, we, I, I think we say in our book, we wish it was called the keto cold because it's, it's so mild and some people don't even get it. Just don't, no, nobody out there, don't, don't let that stop you or scare you. It's really not that big a deal. And is it a kind of detox or Herxheimer's kind of, it's not a reaction, it really seems like it's almost a detox as the body shifts to burning fat versus sugar. I mean, you could think of it that way. It's not really, that's not really what it is. I, I really think it's down to the electrolyte shift. So mm-hmm. insulin, you know, again, insulin, not just the blood sugar hormone, insulin changes the way that your body holds on to sodium, potassium, and magnesium. So when all of a sudden, very abruptly, your insulin level is a lot lower than it normally is, your electrolyte balance is going to shift. And that, that is currently, anyway, believed to be what's responsible for most of the issues that we get in keto flu. So um, really, it's just recommended to just increase your salt intake, take some, you know, make some broth with bouillon or just really generously salt your food. And if anyone out there is afraid of salt... You know, when when you're on a very, very low-carb diet, your body, not only does your body require more sodium, but just like saturated fat, just like red meat, sodium has really gotten a very undeserved bad reputation. It's, it's an essential mineral. It's critical. So, um, yeah, it's really, it's really just the electrolyte shift. And I think it may also have to do with, you know, you, you get rid of all the glucose. Okay, now my body is trying to burn all these fats and ketones. Maybe it takes a couple of days to get that enzymatic and biochemical machinery online, so to speak. Like some of those processes have to be ramped up. So you're kind of in this metabolic limbo where you no longer have a lot of carbohydrate coming in to burn, but your body isn't yet up to snuff in fully burning the fats and ketones. So um, maybe you're just kind of in that, pause period with with low energy but it's it's really the electrolytes and it just it, it really does pass quickly for most people more water more mi- liquid minerals i put liquid mineral drops in all the water i drink because i like electrolytes and mm-hmm. more water water is our friend really come on drink water it's good <laughs> our body really likes being hydrated how how will end your carb confusion Help us with our individual metabolic flexibility, and and really, is that the book? Should we start? Should we all go out and find Dr. Atkins' book and then read Ed Your Carb Confusion? I'm sort of an advocate for still an ad, advocating Dr. Atkins, uh, even though the books are hard to find. Somewhere I tried to before the show find my old dog-eared copy, my the little paperback he wrote originally. Uh, but how do we? Is, do you think that the end start with end your carb confusion because it'll really help us figure out our carb levels and give us information about the you know managing that which sounds slightly overwhelming at first but once you get it dialed in it's just happens is that right yeah it's it's hard to say I I am always a fan of anyone reading Dr Atkins I mean if you want to start with those books and and he didn't just write his diet books. He's written some health books that are really incredible and worth reading. Um, he was 
ha- he has a book called Dr. Atkins' Vita Nutrient Solution, which is a dynamite book for anyone interested in, in different vitamins and minerals and other compounds that, that have kind of a quote-unquote pharmaceutical or pharmacological effect given it at the right dose. But he was just so brilliant besides the, the weight loss stuff that he did. But our, our book encompasses a lot of what Dr. Atkins taught but goes beyond that and talks a little more about how to actually it, – it doesn't just tell you what to do and why. It tells you how. We, we give tips for, okay, how do I order in a restaurant if I'm not eating a lot of carbs? How do I – if I'm on the road and I need to run into a gas station and get some food, what do I get? Or, you know, no one, no one in my family is doing this. How do I, how do, I do this as the only person in my household who's not eating starch? And um, the truth is that the first phase of the diet, our, our diet in end your carb confusion has three phases, and the first phase – is based upon Atkins induction. You know, Dr. Westman, he trained under Dr. Atkins. That was his introduction to this as well. And that, that the, our phase one food list is basically what Dr. Westman has been using in his clinic for 20 years, and that was based on Atkins induction. So our phase wow. one is basically Atkins induction, maybe a little bit modified. Um, but I think I think our book does a really is unique in the current keto space in that it acknowledges, you know, not everyone needs keto. You might be reading this book and if you're already healthy and lean and fit and you're happy and you just want to learn about nutrition or you want to make sure that you stay healthy and lean and fit, you might not need to go fully keto, but maybe, you know, you could start at a higher carb level. We don't, we don't recommend, you know, nobody needs to be eating three or 400 grams of carbs a day, but not everybody needs to be at the very, very strict level that would be a truly ketogenic diet. And then what do we get into phase two? So phase two is most definitely a low-carb diet. So our, our phase one is um, 20 total grams of carbohydrate per day or less, and that is really strict. You know, um, one, one big apple has more than, than 20 grams of carbs. So there's your entire carb load for the day. So it's a very strict, but it's very effective. And that, of course, is where we recommend people to start that have the most severely compromised health or who are looking to lose the most weight. Um, if you're starting out, and, and we actually have a checklist in the book that you fill out, and that will point you toward the level where you should start. Our level two is 50 grams of carbs a day or fewer, and 50 is absolutely a low-carb diet. Some people will be in ketosis at that level. Some people won't, right? Like the, the level of carbohydrate that anyone can consume and still be in a ketogenic state differs from person to person. The reason we start people at 20 in the phase one is because that's so strict that just about everybody will be in ketosis at that point. Some people can be in ketosis at 30 or 40 or 50, but if we want everyone to get the full effect, we recommend that they start at that really low level. But if you're a little healthier, you can start with more. And if you're even healthier or you're very, very active and fit, uh, we start you even higher. You can be at, at our phase three, which is 150 grams of carbs. And that is um, still compared to what 
many people are eating, that's still relatively low in carbs. It's not, I mean, my personal definition is probably anything under 100 or 80 grams of carbs a day. So 150 to me is not really low carb, but in comparison to what's, you know, if you're, if you're an athlete, like for someone like you cycling or a runner, or, you know, anyone doing any kind of sport like that, 150 grams of carbs is a pretty good sweet spot. And I'm going to jump slightly sideways here because this fits, I, I think, really a lot in this whole conversation about keto. Do you think you can really change diet without changing mindset? Um, that's a good question. It, it depends on what aspect of mindset we're talking about. If, if I, I think it's very possible to change, well, I, no. Can you change your diet without changing your mindset? No. But certain aspects of mindset around food are a lot easier to change than others. For example, you can learn some of the facts about food and the human body. Like, like again, when I went to nutrition school, I, I'm no longer afraid of saturated fat or red meat or nitrates or any of these things because I, I know the science, at least to, to the extent that I do know it, I'm not afraid of any of these things and how they affect the human body. So if somebody's hang-up of doing a low-carb or keto diet is that they're afraid of eating so much fat, especially so much saturated fat or so much animal food, there's ways around that. I mean, there's, you know, Nina Teicholz's book, The Big Fat Surprise, is, is probably what I would recommend they start with to dispel those myths. But even if they don't want to eat that, you can do a ketogenic diet that's mostly fish or mostly poultry and olive oil and avocados. You don't have to eat a lot of, um, you know, animal fat. But the the hardest part of the mindset to change, and, and I don't even know that it's mindset. It's it's a physiological thing, and that's the carb addiction and the sugar addiction. And for some people, when they go on a keto diet, those cravings actually disappear. And like literally for the first time in some people's lives, they can go a day or a month or a year without eating sugar. And it's, it's literally life-changing for them. For other people, it just, it's not quite that magical. And, and we still have to fight those carb demons and the sugar cravings. So that part of it is a lot harder to get over. And I think also, you know, so many people have tried, we've tried so many diets and we've failed so many times and we've already been at the gym five days a week for 10 years and we're working and we're working and we're not getting anywhere. Why is keto going to be different? Why is, you know, you go into it expecting to fail because you've already failed at everything else. So um, there's a lot of baggage that comes into diet, right? Boy, howdy. <laughs> I was a fat kid. <laughs> So I have that as a foundational lifestyle. I was the kid in school, but it made me really smart and quippy. So there's that benefit in my mind. It made me good with and, a fast retort. And probably retort. More, more empathetic, too. I mean, I know I, I, I have my own food struggles still even now, and I think that, that the, the silver lining to that is it makes me a little more empathetic to the people that also still struggle with whether it's overeating or sugar cravings or, you know, anything like that. I agree. It's really, especially the sugar tr struggle, I've never really had that. 
Well, no, that's a lie. Uh, when I was younger, now not <laughs> at all. But it's really it does. I mean, it's really hard when you have loved ones around you. Not that I have any relatives that have issues with sugar. Just saying. Um, but to watch them, they get that cra- slightly crazed. Not everybody. I'll just talk about my relatives. Get that slightly crazed, possessed look in their eyes when they're eating a sugary food. You know how people will bite into a sweet dessert and their eyes just roll up in the back of their head like an animal well, yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't, It's amazing. I wasn't – yeah, I wasn't kidding before when I said it's, it's a drug and it's literally like they're getting a fix. It's, it's, well, it pops you into know, the – go ahead. You know, anyone that thinks sugar addiction isn't real just isn't addicted to sugar. But look, I don't, I, I don't have a gambling problem, but I don't deny that gambling addiction is a real thing. You know, I don't have mm-hmm. to have it myself to believe that other people can have it. Right. Well, and isn't it, isn't it a lot about – I mean, besides the mindset of – I'm feeling sad, I'm feeling something, I'll fix that with food. And the food will be something that will quickly shift the hormone cascade versus I'm feeling sad, I'm feeling bad, I think I'll have a steak. <laughs> because of the, cause yeah. of the rush, in a certain sense, isn't it that, that addictive quality connected to the hormone cascade that occurs from eating sugar or easily assimilated carbs? Yeah, I think, um, again, unfortunately not one of my areas of of super expertise, but sugar supposedly lights up a lot of those same reward pathways, so to speak, those dopamine pathways in the brain. It's it's rewarding. It's a little pick-me-up. And I think that's not, quote-unquote, all in your head. I mean, it is, but there's a it's in your head because it's a brain thing. It's a dopamine hit. It's a serotonin, whatever it may be. There's a, there's a reason that stuff makes us feel better. And it's when we think of comfort food, nobody thinks of, of a ribeye steak, even though ribeye <laughs> steak is delicious. You don't, oh think of, you, know, you don't think of grilled salmon with the skin and some roasted Brussels sprouts, even though that's amazing. That's not what we think of when we want comfort food. I guess I've always been a, real, a little odd, but I've been in the restaurant business, in and out of the restaurant business for a long time. My my weight had always been, I can't say at its lowest, lowest, because I was always beefy muscularly. And when I was a chef, I was actually my thinnest, always chunky, always muscular. But people say people see a lot of portrayals of chefs as beer bellied and fat. And that can occur because you get into a lifestyle of the massive, you know, the eating and what you're drinking and eating can do that. But the physicality of being a chef is really gnarly. If you're a working chef, you are on your feet 12 or 14 hours a day working really hard, lifting, moving, just being very physical. And so for me, being a chef was easy. And then at the end of the shift, when you eat, you can eat whatever you want. And it was often a piece of fish or something. I wasn't a carb person. So it was an easy lifestyle to be thin in. Well, again, not thin, stocky. Uh, I was always built more like the uh, 
the guy I was the guy that you wanted at the bottom of the pyramid in gymnastics. <laughs> I, would uh-huh. hold, I was that guy that was always at the bottom. You didn't want me at the top because that was a little too scary, but I was the guy at the bottom or the guy in the football team they always wanted to put up front to block others <sighs> because I was just that sort of gladiator body style. And it really is amazing when I would be around other people who would reach for – I'm the guy who always was reaching for the T-bone versus mm-hmm. the sugar. I didn't have that sugar rush. Oh. And so, but I observe from having been a fat kid when I was more sugar-oriented because that's a whole other show. I'd have to lay down on a couch and we could talk about <laughs> that, but we won't. That that was a quick fix. Now, once you change that lifestyle, I can't see going back. Can you imagine ever going back away from eating keto? Well, no, no, but to be clear, I I am low carb. I'm not always strict keto. Now, I'm I'm in ketosis most of the time just because what I eat and more especially what I don't eat. But right now, for my own weight and health, I don't deliberately aim to be strictly ketogenic all the time. But can I like so so what that means is every now and then I'll have a little bit of hummus. Every now and then I'll have some roasted beef. But I'll I'll never start. I mean, I'm I was born and raised in New York. I ate a bagel the size of my head like every morning, <laughs> through, you know, for ten years, and I I haven't done that in a long long time. So I no, I can't see myself ever going back to that or going back to you know the enormous bowl of cereal that I would have, and then maybe seconds and some toast uh, with you know light margarine, of course, back in the day. Uh, no, I can't see myself ever going back to that, but. One thing that I really love about about our book is that we explain, you know, who who we recommend strict keto for and why, and and who maybe doesn't need it quite that much. And then one of the best parts of our book is that we talk about how to transition, and if you should. Meaning, let's say you start out with obesity or type two diabetes or PCOS. You do keto for a while, you lose 50 pounds, you get off your insulin, you do all these amazing things. Now what? Do you need to keep eating that very, very strict level of low carb for the rest of your life? Or do you have a little wiggle room to maybe reintroduce small amounts of things? And so that's, um, you know, and, and everyone's always saying, oh, keto, keto works, but it's not sustainable. Nobody can stick with it. Yeah, they can. Plenty of people have been doing this for years and years, if not decades. And so you can do strict keto for life if you want to, but hey, maybe in July you want to go to the farmer's market and get a peach. Or maybe, you know, you want to have that piece of pumpkin pie at Thanksgiving. Is there room to, you know, some people will have room to do that without regaining the weight, without re-triggering all the health problems to come back. And um, our book really, I think, is unique in that we discuss all of that. We're not saying that everybody needs to do keto or that everyone needs to do it for their whole life. You know, it would be, it would be dumb and quite frankly wrong of us to say that keto is the only way to be healthy. Look at people, you know, there's people in Japan who eat rice and they're lean and healthy. <laughs> you know, they're not doing so it's keto is one way to go and it happens to be a really really effective way to go for the millions upon millions of people out there who are living with diabetes or hypertension or obesity or, you know, any of this other stuff. 
Well, I'd rather be on a diet for life than I would be medications, but that's me. I'd rather alter my diet thinking than I would be taking a drug every day to balance my blood sugar. Yeah, and I'm saying, and and again, I'm very empathetic for the people that choose to do that. It's just not my. I'd rather just eat. What about that? Right, right. Food as fuel. Yeah, and yeah, the 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 beautiful thing about low carb is that you know, not you you reverse these diseases. Not not all of them, but many many of these conditions, you can completely reverse them medication-free. It's not that you quote-unquote manage your type 2 diabetes or manage your hypertension. You get rid of it altogether, and you're on medication. You know, there's people who have better blood sugar control unmedicated on keto than they had taking medication. So there's something about this way of eating that fundamentally corrects whatever's going on in the body that's giving you type 2 diabetes or hypertension or gout or any of that stuff. And um, it, it is a choice. If you don't want to do keto, then modern medicine has a drug for you, and it's probably very expensive, and it probably comes with a lot of gnarly side effects. But if you would rather take that drug and have your pancakes and waffles, then that's your personal choice, and you are entitled to do that. Yeah, my weakness would be a great pizza, but <laughs> that would be my. Uh, I would I would lean away from the pancakes and go toward the amazing pizza, not very often, right. but, but occasionally it just can't be thing, helped. Here's the thing too, though, and we we mentioned this on our book, and I'll say this because you know we've just had Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's are coming up. Doctor Westman has this great phrase where you know it's okay. There's a holiday coming up. If you want to have the cranberry sauce and the stuffing, or have the whatever, you know, the rolls, have it, enjoy it, love every bite of it, but don't let a holiday become a hollow week or a hollow month. Enjoy the day and the next day you're back on plan because the one, let's say even two or three, two or three slices of pizza once every six weeks isn't what made us all diabetic or have obesity and and all this other stuff. And even parents in the keto world, they get so crazy at Halloween. Oh, my kid, I can't, they can't have the candy. Let them have the candy on Halloween. The problem is that in America, we all eat like it's Halloween and Thanksgiving and Christmas 365 days a year. If we really only had this stuff once in a while, no big deal. The problem is we eat this stuff all day, every day. Yes. Yeah. I want to ask about, in Chapter 13, you talk about following the ADAPT, and I want to ask about that. But I specifically want to ask about, to give us a a hint, talking about following the ADAPT, your life diet when dining out. Could we talk a little bit about dining out, making some choice points when we're dining out, and what is ADAPT? You can take those in either order. Sure, yeah. The dining out is, um, you know, Dr. Westman and I wrote this to really help people see how truly simple keto is. And I didn't say easy, I said simple. For some people it is easy, but you can eat pretty much anywhere, any kind of restaurant from a fast food joint to a you know, five-star place, um, you just have to know what to ask for and how to customize your order. 
I've never, ever been to a restaurant where there was quite literally nothing suitable for me to eat. You can get a, you know, get a steak, or like at some place like an Outback Steakhouse, for example, they give you a steak and a potato and some green vegetable. You just say, hey, double broccoli, no potato, or can I have a salad instead of the starch? Um, even at a Chinese restaurant, you can get, you know, shrimp or chicken and mixed vegetables, no rice, no noodles. And it's really any kind of breakfast place, just get an omelet, get some sausage, some cheese, some spinach and onions. Um, very, very easy to do. And, and on any budget, this fits into any lifestyle. Again, you can go to the fast food drive through get a couple of burger patties, no bun, get a couple of grilled chicken patties, no breading, no bun. Or, again, you can go to the, you know, get the surf and turf, get the filet mignon and lobster tail and dip it in melted butter. It really works. And whether you cook, if, if you're a gourmet cook and you have every gadget and you love to cook everything from scratch, this is great. If not, you can get the rotisserie chicken from the supermarket. You can get some deli roast beef, get some canned tuna. You're good to go. Any budget, any lifestyle, it really there's no obstacles to doing this. You just have to have a little bit of information. And the ADAPT, um, Dr. Westman is the co-founder of a company called ADAPT Your Life. Um, you can go to adaptyourlife.com. And we have a, they've actually started some education. And, and this book is, is one of the cornerstones of that. We have what's called ADAPT Your Life Academy, where we're doing some online courses now in teaching about how simple this way of eating really is. That's, that's what prompted Dr. Westman and me to write this book. It's, um, we are both just stunned at how overly complex this has been made out to be. Because when I was new, you know, you, you know, when you were new, there was the Atkins book. When I started, Facebook didn't even exist. Twitter and Instagram <laughs> didn't even exist. That's how long ago we're yeah. talking. But it was, there was, there's so much more information now, which is fabulous, but there's a lot of misinformation and there's a lot of people that are saying things that sound good, but they're not really scientific. They're irrelevant to how this diet works. And um, we really, the title says it all, End Your Carb Confusion. We wrote this to clear up a lot of the myths and to make this doable and accessible because it doesn't matter how well a diet works if nobody can afford it or nobody can understand it. And this diet is affordable, understandable. It's dead simple if, if you just know the key principles. And it really can be. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sold that I was <laughs> doing radio before there was Internet. Like, you know, you Internet back then was punching cards. <laughs> there was no the, it, the IBM mainframe that took up the whole room, right? Yes, yes. That was my first computer. Was the computer at Northridge? I was at Sonoma State in university, and you would punch in cards, and they'd d disappear into a room, and you'd get back a tree worth of paper printout to go. Oh, two plus two equals four. It was right. stunning. So yeah, um, where I knew this was going to happen. And we're at the point where I want to ask you about how do you work with people? Do you do online classes? Where can people find out more about you? And where would you like them to find your book? Oh, so our book is it's called End Your Carb Confusion, and it's available for pre-order on Amazon and probably other book-selling sites too. But, of course, 
in this day and age of COVID, if there's a local bookseller that you can support, ask them to buy our book or tell them, you know, I'd like to purchase this book and I'd like to purchase it from you, my small local bookseller. Um, the release date in the U.S., I believe, is December 15th, but you can pre-order. And I do work with um, clients privately. Again, my website, www.twoitnutrition.com, you can see um, how I do that. And I do work with people. I'm based in North Carolina, but I work with people via Zoom and Skype all the time, so location is not a problem. And um, we are, again, this, uh, our Adapt Your Life. Go to adaptyourlifeacademy.com, and you'll be able to see some of the courses that we have to make all of this really simple. It really is. It amazes me, and that's one of the reasons I was excited to talk with you, because it is amazing down through the decades of having been familiar with Dr. Atkins' work to see how complexified keto seems to have become. Like, what happened? It's not that hard. And that's it's, what I love about this book is it's really approachable. Yeah, thank you. It's it's crazy because um I I just lost my train of thought. I just it's it's really unbelievable to imagine how everybody's so lost in the weeds that they're missing, you know, they're they're definitely missing the forest for the trees and 90% of what I do with clients who come to me for help is is mythbust and and just kind of help them drown out the noise, help them really focus in on the, the things that actually matter. Um, you know, they, they, they come to me, they've listened to 800 podcasts, they've watched <laughs> a thousand YouTube videos, and they, they don't, they, they, they know too much almost. They know too much, they're worried about things that are irrelevant, and they're actually, they, they know so much that they've forgotten about the things that they actually need to do to make this work. Everybody seems yeah. very confused, and like you say, they've listened to a thousand people talk about it, and it's all like, oh, my, it's this special, amazing, not, no, not really. Get the end your carb confusion. It's really great. It really helps. It's a concise way, for, from my view, of dialing it in, being walked through and handheld. You even have snack ideas. Wow, what an amazing concept. It's a, it's a great gathering of <laughs> information. Thank you so much, Amy. I knew this was going to be fun, and that was great. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. Everybody else, have a great rest of the weekend, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.